1: Miss Liddy on Facebook. I know you're watching. Miss Gracie told me that you said it's time for me to take my hat off. <laughs> and I told Miss Gracie that as soon as I see you sitting in the pews, I'll take my hat off. <laughs> Hallelujah. Until then. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to start this morning by at the place where Jesus actually began his earthly ministry. As you know he was baptized in the Jordan River by by John the Baptist and then he was led and into the wilderness by the Holy Ghost where he was tempted, tested, and tried for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. So he was hungry, he was Powerful, because he was sharp with the word. You know when we fast it doesn't change God, it doesn't move God's hand, but it makes you sharper with the word. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus successfully passed every temptation and every test that the devil threw at him. And then the Bible says he went back to Galilee in the power of the spirit. And as you know he was baptized in the Jordan and baptized with the Holy Ghost as well while he was in The Jordan. John said he saw the Holy Spirit as a dove descending on Jesus and remaining on him. So he was baptized in water and baptized in the Spirit at the same time. And so the first thing he did when he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit is he went into the synagogues and he began to teach in the synagogues. And this was the start of his ministry. So turn with me to Luke chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 15 through 27. Luke four fifteen. It says, And he himself, Jesus himself, conducted a course of teaching in their synagogues. Plural. I'm reading an Amplified Classic. And he himself conducted a course of teaching in their synagogues, being recognized and honored and praised. By all so he came to Nazareth that Nazareth where he had been brought up and he entered the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read and there was handed to him the roll of the book of the prophet Isaiah he opened unrolled the book and found the place where it was written it was in a, our Bible it would be Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2 but he found a place where it was written The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me, the Anointed One, the Messiah, to preach the Good News, the Gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to announce release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to send forth as delivered those who are oppressed, who are downtrodden, bruised, crushed, and broken down by calamity, to proclaim the accepted and acceptable year of the Lord, The day when salvation and the free favors of God profusely abound. I'm adding this, but the days that we're living in right now. And then he rolled up the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were gazing attentively at him. Actually, they were gawking at him and he began to speak to them today. This scripture, the one he just read, has been fulfilled while you are present and hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the words of grace that came forth from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So he said to them, You will doubtless quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have learned by hearsay, that you did in Capernaum, do here also in your own town. And then he said solemnly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable and welcome in his own town or country. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The reason everyone was gazing so attentively or gawking at him, when he sat down is because in every Jewish synagogue, there was a, tra- a chair that no one was allowed to sit in because it was reserved for the promised one, the Messiah. And when Jesus sat down, he sat in the chair that was reserved only for the Messiah. He was, it was a proclamation that he was the promised one that they've been waiting for. He was the Messiah that was to come but they weren't ready for him and at first they accepted him and 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 then somebody say wait a minute isn't this Joseph's son and then they begin to talk about this can't be the Messiah because we know him he was raised here in this hometown he went to school with my son and my daughter he worked with his father Joseph as a carpenter's assistant he can't be the Messiah And that's when Jesus told them, no prophet is acceptable and welcome in his own country. And it went downhill from there. So when Jesus completed completed his 40 days of testing, he conducted this course of teaching in their synagogues, which tells me that Nazareth wasn't the first synagogue he went to. He went to all the synagogues on the way to Nazareth, and taught them by course uh, in every synagogue. And they all received him and praised him and welcomed him and gave him honor. It said they all did that. He was, he was recognized, honored, and praised by all. And then when it comes to uh, Nazareth, it was the same thing. He was recognized, honored, and praised by them all until he crossed that line where he said that Uh, where he sat down in the chair, and then he said, this day is this uh, scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, that scripture was talking about and pointing to the coming Messiah, and he claimed to be him. So Nazareth, like I said, wasn't the first one he taught in, but it was the first one that rejected him. And they rejected him because they were familiar with him. A prophet is without honor in his own town, his own country his own hometown and why because of familiarity because hey we know you we know what you did we know you uh, you were raised by Joseph and Mary and we you know we just you can't be the Messiah and so they rejected him but what really made them angry is when Jesus told them this in verses 25 and 26 he says, But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were closed up for three years and six months, so that there came a great famine all over the land. And yet Elijah was not sent to a single one of them, but only to Zarephath in the county of Sidon, country of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and yet not one of them was cleansed by being healed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. So in addition to proclaiming to be the Messiah by sitting down in the Messiah's seat and telling them that the scripture was fulfilled in their ears this day, he placed himself in a class with Elijah, and Elijah, whom the Jews considered to be the greatest prophets that ever lived. This man, this Joseph's son, this Jesus that was raised among them, not only claimed to be the Messiah, but now he's claiming equality with two of the greatest prophets that Israel ever known. And it made them so angry they wanted to kill him. So Jesus was telling them, in essence, that because they rejected him as the messiah god would reject them and he would bless the heathen but in their place just like he did the widow and naaman the syrian both who were heathen they weren't even jews as a matter of fact they were so angered at him that they ran him out of the synagogue it said they grabbed him and pushed him out of the synagogue to the brow of the hill And they were gonna cast him headlong over the hill over the edge of the cliff and kill him but the Bible says Jesus passed through their midst so I don't know exactly what happened maybe they was all struck blind maybe they couldn't see him or whatever maybe he turned into a spirit I don't know what happened but he passed through the midst of them and they weren't able to do what they wanted to do with him But what I want to concentrate on this morning is the Syrian commander called Naaman. There's a lot of things that we can glean from this account. And uh, I want to know why Jesus mentioned him by name. And actually, Jesus was kind of bragging about him. So Naaman was a commander of the Syrian army, and he was a great and honorable man in the eyes of the king and the people he served. He was also a mighty man of valor, but there was one problem. He was a leper. And Naaman's wife had an Israeli handmaiden, a slave girl that was taken captive from Israel during one of Naaman's conquests. So don't tell me God can't use who he wants to use. This man was an enemy of Israel, and yet God healed him, a heathen. And she told Naaman's wife that there was a prophet in Israel that not could, but would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman gets permission from the king to go see Elisha, and he departs for Israel, and he takes with him ten talents of silver, ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing which is actually a small fortune. Actually, it's a large fortune. And he took that to Israel with him because he figured if this guy can heal me, I'm gonna reward him. But let's pick up the actual story in 2 Kings chapter five and we'll start reading with the ninth verse. This is right after he got permission from the king to go to Israel. So then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Now that would be good news to most people. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He, the prophet, will surely come out to me. And stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. You know, some people had this uh, prerequisite to how they're going to be healed or how God is going to move. And, you know, you can be healed sitting right there in your seat right now. Mm -hmm. But some people think that they have to get up in the prayer line, have the pastor lay hands on them or wave his hand over them like Naaman did before they could receive their healing. I was like that before I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, People prayed for me and I just couldn't receive. Ann was one of them. I couldn't receive because I had this uh, prerequisite in my mind that only my pastor would be able to get me filled with the Holy Ghost. And so it it blocked me from getting filled with the Holy Ghost. It blocked me from getting blessed long before uh, I actually did. So this is the case with Naaman. He had his own preconceived idea of how God should do something for him. And then verse 12 says, Are not the Abana and the Farpar, far, the, far the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and left in a rage with his leprosy. Then verse 13 says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. In other words, if he told you to do something hard and great, you would have accepted the challenge and you would have did it. But he told you to do something simple. Like just dipping in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed of your lips. You'll be clean. And so verse 14 says, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. So the man of God, all he did was gave him the word of the Lord. I mean, he just preached the word to him. And because he was obedient and did exactly what the word said, he was healed of his leprosy. It's no different today. Naaman almost missed his miracle because God didn't do things the way that he expected him to do them. He expected the pastor to come out and lay hands on him, but the pastor sent Brother Darrell instead, and he couldn't receive from Brother Darrell. At first. But I'm going to tell you something. I've always said this. Never judge the vessel. Don't judge me. Judge what's coming out of the vessel. Taste of what's coming out of the vessel. And then make a judgment. But when you close yourself off. Because you don't like the vessel. Or you feel like you've been dishonored. Because the pastor himself. Or the, the prophet himself. Didn't come out and greet you. And pray for you. Then you'll miss your blessing. Mm -hmm. You'll miss your miracle. Because God's anointing on Daryl is just as strong as it is on me. You say, why do you say that pastor? Because uh, it's just always been that way with people. They're funny. When when our pastor said he was going on vacation, half the church didn't show up for church that Sunday because they didn't want to hear the associate pastor. But it's not like that in this church. (laughs) But just in case, we don't tell you when we're not (laughs) going (laughs) to be. Hallelujah. But Naaman thought that he was important enough for the pastor or the prophet himself to come out and lay hands on him and not send me a messenger. And that's a sign of pride. But then the messenger tells him to dip in the muddy waters of the Jordan River when he knew they had cleaner rivers in his country where he came from. Again, a sign of pride. You know, I'm too good to dip in a dirty water. I'm too good to dip in the murky waters of the Jordan when I have clean waters in Damascus. So his pride was going to keep him from receiving his miracle, his healing, But thank God his servants were able to talk some sense into him and he decided to take their advice and follow Elisha's instructions. And it was probably with great reluctance when he entered that river. He was probably mumbling and murmuring. And then it was with even greater reluctance when he dipped himself, not just one time, but had to dip himself seven times and I bet every time he dipped himself and came up, he checked to see if the leprosy was gone. And after six times of dipping and not seeing any improvement, at least there should be some improvement, something should be happening here. But when he dipped that seven times and he came up out of that water, the leprosy didn't. He was clean, he was healed of leprosy, hallelujah glory. I said hallelujah. hallelujah. Yes. He went down dirty, came up clean. Yes. Yes. Only God can do that. Right. Yes. Amen. Only God can wash you in something that is red as crimson and you come out looking white as snow. Yes. Amen. But from that moment on, Naaman made up his mind that he would never worship the gods of Syria again. Yes. Mm-hmm. He would only worship the one and only true God God, the God of Israel. That's a lesson that he learned right there. And I bet he also learned a lesson on pride and and obedience. He knew he had to humble himself to do that. And sometimes it only takes one encounter with God that can change somebody's life forever. So if you're ever puzzled on how to pray for somebody, pray that they have an encounter with God. A true encounter with God. All the witnessing, all the preaching in the world can't even compare to one small encounter with God. That's what changed my life forever. An encounter with God. And He'll do that for you. But one thing we can learn right off the bat is that no matter how great or powerful you are or think you are, we're all vulnerable. You can even be a great man of... uh, or woman of faith and, and, and obedience and still come down with a terminal disease. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or you can be a heathen like Naaman and come down with an incurable disease. Yeah. The devil's no respecter of persons. He'll lay it on anybody he can. Amen. Now Naaman was a mighty warrior. He was a great man of stature, a man of valor, and a man of great wealth. Obviously ten talents of silver. I think a talent is anywhere from a thousand to two thousand pounds if I'm not mistaken. That's a lot of silver. But in spite of his greatness, he became a leper. And leprosy was one of the deadliest diseases they knew in ancient times. And anyone who had leprosy was a dead man walking. He had a death sentence on his life. It was only a matter of time. Usually you die and you rot in the grave. But with this disease, you rot while you're still alive. Terrible disease. And the Bible doesn't tell us how Naaman got leprosy, but we do know that it is contagious. It was a contagious disease, and that's why they had leper camps, and, and if uh, you approached a leper, he had to cover himself and say, unclean, unclean, because they were quarantined, that you couldn't get close to them. They had to wear a mask they had to stay home. And leprosy is also a type of sin. The Bible refers to sin as leprosy. Why? It has the same effect on people. So maybe it would do as well to avoid getting close to it. Be nice if you got close to sin and sin said, sin, sin, Probably override it anyway, but it doesn't matter how he got it. One thing for sure is that Naaman and all his glory and strength and wealth came to realize just how vulnerable he really was. Yes. I used to think I was Superman. Seriously, when I when I was a little kid, I used to think that I was Superman. I put on a Superman shirt or a cape, and I thought I had superpowers. And then I grew up and still thought I was Superman because I led a healthy life. I was never sick, you know, I was always strong, never missed a day's work. And so I thought I was invulnerable to sickness and disease. And then one day it hit. And I can remember coming out of the doctor's office. I had a x-rays all kinds of blood tests, uh, MRI, and I come out of the doctor's office and he ran out of the office to meet us because he didn't think he'd get the results, but he got the results before we left. And so he comes running out and meets us on the sidewalk. And he tells me, he says, he says, Mike, he says, I uh, got some bad news for you. I said, what is it? And he said uh, that uh, you've got diabetes? and you've got two blown discs in your back. He said, that's why you're in so much pain. And so, you know, I I remember Mike was there with me, you know, and I looked at Mike, I said, he must have somebody else's test results. I'm Superman. (laughs) That can't happen to me. But I realized very shortly after that, that yes, it can happen to you and it did. And so uh, it's a hard thing when you realize you're not Superman and so this is probably Naaman. You know he's going around he's conquering and having victory on the left and the right. He's conquering armies and he's bringing back the spoil to his king and he's favored with all the people and greatly honored and respected and then all of a sudden he finds out he's not Superman and he comes down with this leprosy. And, and it's a shame that we never realize the value of physical health until it's been compromised or it's gone. It's a shame how uh, we don't realize the value of relationships until it's gone. Yes. And then we start to thinking, maybe if I would have ate better, if I would have exercised more, if I would have been more careful, if I would have did this, if I would have did that, if I wouldn't have said this, if I would have said that, if I would have showed him or her more love. If, and we have all these questions. And it's a shame that we don't realize these things until it's too late. We don't realize how valuable our health is and how valuable relationships are until it's gone or they're gone. So we should be taking care of these bodies that the Lord gave us. We should be taking care of our relationships because they both require regular maintenance. it's no difference with your relationship with the Lord. It requires maintenance. It requires upkeep. It requires you spend some time with him in his presence. And, you know, it seems like when we do that, all of our relationships improve because these are traits of a good relationship. And we learn how to have a good relationship with God. We can have a good relationship with our our wife, our husband, our children, our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones, and it only benefits us more than anything else. But pride will keep you from doing those things. Naaman could have been robbed of his miracle because of his pride. (coughs) And pride can rob us of our blessings as well. Pride will keep you going from the doctor keep you from going to the doctor, Queenie, but it's only hurting you It get your illness a leg up on you that it shouldn't have. I can remember when I was diagnosed with the cancer Uh, And the doctor give us a diagnosis and he's sitting there saying, I wish we would have found this sooner. I wish we would have found this sooner. And and it's not because of me, because I never had a symptom. So it's not like I ignored a symptom or something. And sometimes that happens. You don't even have a symptom. And then uh, you go to the doctor for a checkup of some kind and they find something. And you think, well, this isn't fair this ain't my fault and sometimes it's not. But pride will keep you from going to the doctor and that will contribute to your illness and pride will also keep you from apologizing in your relationship when you know you're wrong but you're too stinking prideful to say I'm sorry. And God hates pride. Yes, it does. James tells us that God resists proud people but gives grace to the humble.
0: Yes.
1: You approach God in your pride, telling God what you want and how you want it done and when you want it done and how he should do it, and he goes like this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you, re- you approach him in humility and tell him you got a problem and you're looking to him for help, and God will see.
0: "Yes."
1: That's the difference between pride and humility. Naaman has so many victories in his life that it gave him status and prominence because every time he went to war and came back victorious with the prisoners and the king's head on a platter and all the spoil of the war uh, or the villages that he plundered, uh, all the people would line up and receive him. It would be like a parade. And, and all of this prominence and all of this stature goes to his head. And he becomes a proud man from that. He was treated with the utmost respect and the utmost honor by the people that he served. And so when he comes to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't meet him at the gate and pray for him personally, he felt disrespected and dishonored. That was pride. His pride was kicking in. So much so that it caused him to walk away angry, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: furious as a matter of fact. And he not only walked away from Elisha, but he walked away from his miracle and his healing. And you know what? Some people won't agree with me, but sometimes God will risk insulting you and even hurting your feelings if he can teach you what you need to learn mm-hmm. and, and protect your future. Yes. Yes, you will. And this is something a lot of parents need to do because parents don't want to hurt their children's feelings. And so they want to be a friend rather than a parent. Yes. But you, you know, you might not hurt their feelings, but you're hurting and affecting their future. Yes, you
0: are. Amen.
1: Don't be afraid to insult them. That's
0: right.
1: Don't be afraid to hurt their feelings. They'll get over that. But they won't take that problem into the future with them. Amen. And if you avoid telling them what needs to be told to them, because you don't want to hurt their feelings or you're afraid you'll insult them. Now I'm not saying humiliate them because God would never humiliate us, but he will insult you because he knows the greater good in the future. He knows something in you that needs to be changed or it's going to cause a problem in your future. You remember the Syrophoenician woman? Mm -hmm. She came to Jesus because she had a little daughter that was vexed with the devil. Mm -hmm. And she wanted Jesus to deliver her. And Jesus ignored her. And then he insulted her by calling her a dog. I can imagine her feelings were hurt. Oh, yeah. I can imagine that she felt insulted. Yes. Here's a rabbi. He's supposed to be a man of love. Uh-huh. And he's called me a dog. And, and he hurt my feelings. And, but you know what? She humbled herself. She could have puffed up and walked away, and she would have walked away with her daughter still in that condition. Yes. And never delivered. Yes. But she humbled herself, yes. and she said, yes. of oh, a truth, Lord. As much as I hate to admit it, you're telling the truth. Yes. I am a yes. dog. Yes.
0: Because
1: I'm living like a dog. Yes. I'm acting like a dog. I treat my daughter like a dog. That's
0: right. Come on.
1: And she realized that she was a problem, and that was the whole point that Jesus wanted to make. Yes. And when the dust settled, he—he he was. She was one of the few people he ever told that had great faith. Yes. Why? Because of humility. Now I'm sure Naaman felt insulted and disrespected, but that's one of the things that we have to put aside yes, and right. humble ourselves if we want grace. Yes. Because if we stay in that pride, we're gonna get resistance from God.
0: That's right.
1: And pride shows up in many different ways. Thinking we're better than other people is pride. Thinking that certain tasks are beneath us is pride. Thinking that everyone should treat us special is pride. And God doesn't always do things the way that we think he should. And he doesn't always work according to our expectations. Nehemiah wasn't happy that Elisha sent a messenger uh, rather than come himself. And then he didn't want to wash in the Jordan because it was the dirtiest river around.
0: Yes.
1: And he had far better options, yes. he thought. No, God, we don't have to do it your way. I got cleaner rivers in Damascus. And why didn't that prophet, why didn't that lazy prophet come out here and pray for me himself? That's Pride he thought he was beneath all of that and so this is a lesson God had to teach him yes. God wanted to heal him but he wasn't in position for a miracle
0: Amen.
1: he was full of pride yes. and God although he didn't tell Naaman this God says hey I can't heal you till we take care of this pride problem that you have and so he tells Elisha what to do and he tells him and I'm sure Elisha was getting his road on. This is an important person I'm going to meet here. He's going to put a big offering in the, in the offering bucket. And God says, no, no, sit down. Send Gehazi, your servant. Send a messenger. And maybe Elisha didn't even understand. It. I know Naaman didn't at first. So he went away angry because of the way Elisha treated him. And the Ammon didn't know God like we know God. See, we know God. We're far advanced over a heathen. We're far advanced over the men and women of old that didn't have the word and the revelation and the preaching on every channel and, and all the books and all the writings that we have. He didn't know that God works like that sometimes. That maybe God will insult you at times and hurt your feelings at times, because he's trying to move you in a position to receive the miracle that you're looking for. God has a way of challenging our thoughts, our pride, and the way we think about him. And when we're we're believing God for a miracle or a breakthrough, he'll stretch us until we feel like we're going to break but it's only because he's trying to get us in the position that we need to be to receive the thing that we want from him. Mm -hmm. So we learn from Naaman that when we ask God for something, we should humble ourselves first. And and empty our minds and be ready and open to receive whatever God tells us. Don't have any preconceived ideas about How God should do it, what he should do, when he should do it, who he should use to do it. Just go to him with an open mind and an open heart. Say, here I am, God. What would you have me to do? Humility can literally save our lives. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Huh. Imagine that. God thinks he's smarter than me. Another one of the powerful lessons from this story of Naomi is what we can draw from his response to his servants, those that are beneath him. His story tells us that even though Naaman thought highly of himself and had a lot of pride, he was humble enough to take advice from his servants, the ones that he led. Naaman's servants went to him and said, if the prophet told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more should you do something simple like washing the Jordan and be clean? Probably took a lot of guts for them to tell him that. And we can learn that no matter how far up you are on the ladder of success, there is merit in the voices of the ones that are beneath you. That's exactly
0: right. Yes.
1: I never had respect from somebody, a CEO or somebody that led a company uh, from the ivory towers, as the saying goes rather than get down in the ranks and roll up his sleeves and find out what's really going on with his company. Yes.
0: Yes.
1: I have never, in, in my position at UPS as a manager and a supervisor, I had never asked somebody to do something that I haven't done myself or wouldn't do myself. Amen, that's right. And I used to get out there in the truck and ride with the drivers. Yes. I knew the job as well as they did. Yes. Because, number one, I did the job for years. Yes. And then number two, as a supervisor, I kept abreast of things by getting in the midst of the rank and file and rubbing elbows with them. Yes.
0: Amen.
1: That's a good leader that does that. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just saying that's what a good leader does. He don't bark orders from the ivory tower and have no idea what that employee is going through. But no matter how we think we have things figured out, we usually don't, especially when it comes to God. And a lot of times, the answer will come from someone that you least expect, from someone that you least respect, yeah. from someone that you would have a hard time taking advice from. That's the one God will use. Yeah. Um, Why? Because that's the only thing that's going to bring that problem out of you. Yes, amen. You know, we pray, say, God, if you find anything in me, i prayed pray this prayer myself. Show it to me, Lord, yes. and I'll do what's right. Reveal. And then God sends somebody your way that takes you off.
0: <coughs>
1: and you, you just go ape. <laughs> and then later you're sitting there quietly and God whispers to you and says, remember you wanted me to get something out of you? I sent the person to do it, and you rejected it. I just meant for you to wave your hand over me, Elisha, Mm -hmm. and heal me and deliver me. I didn't mean I wanted to have to go through anything. But it seems like his servants felt comfortable enough to give him personal advice. That's good. This says something about the type of leader that he was, because... He was approachable, and a good leader is always approachable, and even though he may send a messenger once in a while, usually he'll show up himself, but when he sends a messenger, that's his ambassador, that's somebody that he trusts, and that's somebody that he knows will do exactly like he would do in in his place, and he should be received. Thank God he was approachable because it literally saved his life here. If, if, if somebody tried to tell him something and he hit him in the head and barked at him and mistreated him all the time, they wouldn't have told him. They wouldn't have tried to convince him to go wash in the Jordan. It's something easy. He asked you to do something easy. That's not hard. So they might withhold some life saving advice sometimes life's most timely and powerful advice comes from unlikely places. God used a jackass to warn Balaam. Ba- 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 he used a jackass to alert Balaam to the fact that there was an angel getting ready to chop his head off with a sword if he took another step. He used a rooster to talk to Peter and that rooster spoke volumes yeah. to Peter. So it'll come in from from unlikely places. Yes, it will. So when God tells us to do something, it's important that we do it exactly like he said to do it.
0: Yes.
1: No compromise, no shortcuts. Naaman was told to dip seven times in the Jordan River.
0: Yes.
1: What would have happened if he went to a different river? What would have happened if he went to the Jordan and only dipped six times? And the word, uh, the Hebrew word for dip here means to plunge or immerse something completely. (laughs) When I'm crabby, Pastor tells me I need a dip in the Holy Ghost. And that's what she means. She means you need to be completely submerged in the Holy Ghost. That's right. rid of that crab in it <clears throat> but the word is particularly used in the scriptures when it's describing dipping someone in water like when De- when jesus was dipping in that water he didn't get sprinkled he didn't get just a dunk or splash he was completely submerged yep. in that water yes. and when we're baptized in the holy ghost we're immersed in the holy ghost when we were born again, we were baptized into the body of Christ. We were submerged into the body of yes. Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the type of dipping it was talking about here. Naaman knew he had to go all the way under, even get his hair wet. But when he went into that water, he had to be all in, is what it was saying. He had to be completely submerged in that water. That murky muddy water and he had to do it to demonstrate complete obedience and submission to God's instruction. God's Word has to be obeyed exactly like it's written or spoken to us or you're not going to see the results you're looking and when Naomi came up out of that water, the seventh time, the leprosy didn't come up with him.
0: That's
1: right. It wasn't a gradual healing. No. Nope. It wasn't one dip, I'm a little cleaner. Two dips, I'm cleaner. Three dips, I'm even cleaner. Four. No, he come up dirty yeah. as the waters were yeah. six times. Yes, he did. Yeah. But when he dipped the seventh time, yes. that's when he come up clean. Amen. Yeah. came up clean, and the Bible says his skin was restored so that it looked like a baby's skin.
0: Yes,
1: hallelujah. That's humiliating in itself. (laughs) I mean, imagine, this is a grown man, probably hairy all over, probably muscular, probably tough looking, probably has scars all over his body from the battle, and now he looks like a baby's behind. (laughs) But he didn't have no leprosy.
0: Amen.
1: So he was not just cleansed of leprosy, his soul was cleansed as well. Some people even say that he was saved, like the woman with the issue of blood, but I don't necessarily agree with that. Not, not salvation in the sense that we know it after Jesus' uh, sacrifice was accepted by God, mm-hmm. but his his soul was cleansed as well because he come up and he realized who the real God was, yep. mm-hmm. and he realized he could no longer serve uh idol gods or yes. demon gods anymore like he did in Syria. Matter of fact, he even asked uh, the question to to uh, Elisha if, he says, you know I'm the king's right hand man. I'm his bodyguard. So when he goes to the temple and worship, I have to go with him. But yes. he says, my heart won't be in it. Would that right. be a sin? Elisha told him, don't worry about it. Yes. God looks on your heart.
0: Come on.
1: So it's just like you working where you work. You're working with sinners, you're hearing nasty jokes, dirty words, all kinds of different stuff, but God understands that your heart is not with that stuff. Your heart is with Him. So sometimes we can't avoid being in the presence of sin, but we can sure avoid being involved in it. And besides that, when when You obey God's word, there's a cleansing that takes place. Ephesians 5.26 tells us that we're sanctified and cleansed by the washing of water by the word. So all of this stuff that Nahum is doing, even though the water was dirty, he still was washed by it. He still was cleansed by it. He still was purified by it. So when we submit ourselves in obedience to God, whatever he does is complete and perfect every time. If you're all in, God is all in. Yes. So Naaman was so grateful that he offered Elisha some very valuable gifts. I mean ten thousand silvers uh, talents of silver, all them gold shekels and uh, ten changes of garments. But Elisha refused to accept them. Man that's you know Somebody offers the pastor a, a, a goodwill offering, it's hard to refuse. Not so much for the pastor, but for the church. Because, you know, you start thinking, man, this will pay a lot of bills, <coughs> this will pay off the mortgage, this will pay this, this will uh, allow us to get that new air conditioner we need. This, But Elisha said, Mm-mm. nothing. Mm-hmm. He didn't accept anything. Because he wanted Naaman to know that Naaman did not contribute to his healing. That's right,
0: right yeah. there. And yes.
1: God wasn't motivated, motivated by what Naaman could That's give right. to him. Yeah. Amen. And so he learned that to God be all the glory.
0: Yes. By that yes.
1: And you know, I, I'm thankful for the advice I got when I was diagnosed. I'm thankful for the the doctors, I'm thankful for the modern technology, the medications. But when it's all said and done, and the dust settles, I'm most thankful to God. To Him be all the glory. Yes, Amen. All those other things helped me. But they couldn't heal me. God is the healer. That's
0: right. God is the
1: only one that can heal. Amen. But anyway, if Elisha had accepted those gifts, he would have been accepting the glory that only God should be giving. So, in refusing the gifts, Naaman learned to understand that. His faith and obedience is what moves God, not his stature or his wealth. Mm. Naaman wasn't perfect.
0: Right. We know that. Right.
1: He didn't have perfect faith. But when we step out in the faith that we have, then God will always meet us where we're at. Yes. Yes. It doesn't take great faith. It doesn't take great stature, and it certainly doesn't take great wealth. No matter how little our faith is it could be the size of a mustard seed and God will meet us there and it will be enough so God's waiting for us to take that one step that shows that we believe in him and we believe his word and then he'll meet us it's got to be a humble step though and Naaman was such a great example of faith that Jesus bragged about him in our opening scripture He said, there were many Jews. Jesus didn't say that. I'm filling in the blanks. There were many Jews in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, save only Naaman, the Syrian, the heathen. So Jesus was telling the Jews in that synagogue that Naaman had more faith and was more obedient than they were. No wonder they wanted to throw him off a cliff. Hmm. That's religion. Come on. Mm-hmm. I'm good enough. Mm-hmm. I did this. Mm-hmm. I fast. Mm-hmm. I help widows. I do this. God don't care about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he cares about it, but it doesn't influence him. It doesn't cause him to save you or bless you or give you a miracle. Mm-hmm. You should be doing those things. Yeah. alright I'm getting ready to close but before I do I want to leave you with something along with the other things we learned this morning about Naaman I want to leave you with one other thing but before I do I want to ask you this question what if Naaman wasn't fully obedient what if he didn't take the seventh dip I think the answer is obvious
0: right.
1: he would have never got his miracle. And there's so many people that need a miracle, even in this place, even right now, that need a miracle from God, but they've taken six dips or less and quit.
0: That's it.
1: Are you one of them? I was one of them at, at one time. We grow weary in well doing and we quit. Where the Word tells us, do not grow weary well doing. Don't quit. Yes. You stepped out in faith and you really wanted to do everything God's word required of you, but you fell short when it came to the seventh dip. For whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you had enough, Mm -hmm. you were tired, you were weary, you were weak, whatever the reason was, you didn't take the seventh dip and you missed your miracle. I don't know how many people get right on the verge. Yes. Right on the threshold of their breakthrough yes. or their miracle yes. and quit. Yes. Yes. Well, I believe God for three days. Big deal. Yes. If you have to believe him for three years, yes. you don't stop believing. No. You keep believing. Yes. You keep exercising faith. But why seven times? Why didn't he tell them to dip six times or ten times for good measure? Why seven? Because the number the number seven is significant in the word. And I think I've told you this before, but there's over 700 times that it appears in the word of God. Yes. From the seven days of creation to all the many sevens that is in the book of Revelation. Yep. The seven trumpets, the seven... Uh, bowls, the seven this, the seven that, the seven candlestick, the seven churches, the seven pastors, and in, in Revelation, the number seven represents completion, perfection, exoneration, and healing. It also represents the fulfillment of promises and oaths. So in other words, when you get to that number seven, that means it's complete. And as you look at the the, the uh, uh, number sevens in Revelation, every time he gets the seventh trumpet, the seventh bowl, the seventh this, the seventh that, something is complete and perfected. Yes. It doesn't have to go through that again. It's complete and perfected. It's done once yes. and for all. Yes. And that's how the whole book of Revelation is. When, when Revelation is finished, everything is complete yeah. and perfect. So your miracle or your blessing was never completed or perfected because you didn't take the seventh dip. You never received the exoneration and the healing. You didn't experience the fulfillment of promises and oaths because that's what the Bible is full of, promises and oaths. And you didn't see it through to the end. You come up short of seven dips. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I want you to get as serious as you possibly can get right now. Because this is a matter of life and death for some people. Today could be that day that you take your seventh dip. Today could be that day that you go back to where you were when you came up out of the water six times and quit. You can go back to that place where you started out for a miracle and fell short. You can go back to that place and complete it today in the Spirit. Take that seventh dip today. You can take that seventh dip and come out, come up without that infirmity that you've been carrying. You can take that seventh dip today and come up without that burden that you've been carrying. You can take that seventh dip today and come out, come up without high blood pressure, without diabetes you can come up without that kidney ailment or that arthritis or that defective bone or those bad knees or those bad lungs or the the bad shoulder you can take that seventh dip today and come up free yeah. and healed nothing's impossible with God right, every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to get into an attitude of prayer. I want you to get into the spirit to the best of your ability. I want you to shut out everything around you. I want you to close your mind, bring your mind to rest, and do like King Hezekiah did when he received the death sentence from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah said, get your affairs in order or you're going to die. And Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he cried out and God heard him and before Isaiah got out of the courtyard, God told Isaiah to turn around, get back in there and tell him he's got 15 more years. I'm telling you that's the place where you need to be right now. You need to be with your face against the wall. You need to be with everything shut out. All your worries, all your concerns, all the problems at home, every circumstance that you're involved with right now, forget it. Wipe it from your mind for a minute and concentrate only on God and the seventh dip that you need to take. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. God, I know these things were done in the Old Testament, but they were done as examples for us and for our admonition. You didn't put this story in the Old Testament for nothing. You put that, the story in the Old Testament for us to read for such a time as this and for us to realize that we need to take our seventh dip, that we need to be completely and totally obedient to your word. And we can't grow weary in well-doing, even if we have to believe something for years. And you might say, well, that's not faith, brother don't tell me about it tell god but i know one thing if you just give up on it and you don't take that seventh dip you'll never see the thing you believe in for so make it up in your mind right now i'm gonna take that seventh dip right now in the spirit i'm in that muddy jordan right now i have my instructions from god to dip seven times i've already dipped six And I want to give up, but this time I'm not. This time I'm going in for the seventh and final dip. And I'm going to come up free, free of any stinking sickness or disease, free of any infirmity, free of any addiction, free of any bondage of any type. I'm going in dirty and I'm coming up clean. And it may not happen right now. It may not happen today, but you stand on this promise that God says he will set you free and you'll receive your miracle if you go all the way and you stay in obedience and faith to his word. You will receive it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Take the dip, take the dip. Renew your commitment. Humble yourself, recognize that you fall, you fell short because you lacked in your faith, because you got angry that God didn't do it when He, you thought He should have, or how He, you thought He should have, or use who He, you thought He should have. Repent from that. Humble yourself, and God will receive you, and you'll receive your mercy. God, I declare it in Jesus' name. I believe it with all my heart. God, I'm not just up here preaching something fancy or preaching something that will appeal to the people. I'm preaching your word. God, I'm sending your word to these people. And you said that your word will not have return unto you void, but it shall accomplish that which you please, and it will prosper in the thing where to you send it. I send it, God. I ask you to prosper it. I ask you to do what's pleasing to you and I know you're pleased when your people are healed and blessed. Not only that God, but I'm gonna lay this on you. I'm asking it all in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I apply the blood. I plead the blood of Jesus, on each and every one here and even in our Facebook audience because there's no distance in the spirit. Your word was sent and healed them all and delivered them from their destruction. Psalms 107. Oh, heal them all. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your healing, God, before anybody lifts their head, let this be symbolic of their head being in the River Jordan dipping the seventh time. When they lift their head, I want them to come up changed. I want them to come up purified. I want them to come up different, Lord. I want them to leave here different. I want them to leave here with a renewed spirit, a renewed faith, a right heart, a humble heart. Want him to leave here with a changed life life this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.
0: Hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Something Hallelujah. happened in the spirit today. When you prayed that prayer, when you dip spiritually into into that Jordan the seven times, something happened. You gotta believe that.
0: Yes.
1: You gotta believe God's word amen. is true. Yes and you should be looking forward to the change. Yes. If it didn't happen right now, look forward to it. Yes. God's Thank word Lord. is true. Yes. Don't put a time limit on Thank God. Yes. Don't don't get like Naaman and, and start thinking about how God should do it or when he should do it or anything else. Just submit yourself to him and yes. call it done. In Jesus' name.